Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom of the Whitney podcast. I'm joined this week by regular rabble rouser Phil Walker <laughs> and Crickford's analyst Pat- Patrick Noon. As part of our partnership with Experience Travel Group of England's Tour de Lanka in March, we're going to start a little differently this week. Picture the scene. I'm are you, trying. Yeah. Are, you both, are you both picturing? picturing Good, yeah. Uh, right, here is the scene. The sound of the Indian Ocean is lapping against the shore. Gaul's picturesque Dutch fort is in the distance, and England captain Joe Root is striking a beautiful cover drive for four to bring up his century. The crowd... these days. <laughs> the, yeah, to, to bring up 65 before <laughs> nicking now, off now. and uh, <laughs> contributing statistic. Uh, the crowd, of which you are both picturing you're a part, are basking in a warm sunshine and stand to acknowledge the impressive knock which has England firmly on the front foot and on course of victory in the first test against Sri Lanka. Sounds pretty good so far, right? Yes, yeah, stunning. Then, uh, you really do paint a picture for us. Thank you, yeah. A few moments later, your dedicated drink server appears with a fresh, cool drink, enabling you to continue to watch the cricket, thirst quenched, without ever <laughs> missing a ball. At the close of play, route 130 knots out, your chauffeur is waiting to take you back to your sumptuous hotel, individually selected by you to ensure you can freshen up for the evening as Sri Lanka delivers the best holiday experience of your life. Sounds pretty good, right? That sounds pretty sexy. Who's delivering this for us, Ben? So that's Experience Travel Group. and They can't guarantee that Rote will be chalking up the runs come March, but they can promise the rest. But time is running out if you want to savour all the beauty of Sri Lanka, cricket included, with a last-minute winter getaway on their Curious Traveller cricket tour. For more information, visit www.experiencetravelgroup.com or call 0203-993-9730. Phil, what's your moment of the week? Well, that. <laughs> right there. Robert Louis Stevenson <laughs> lives again. Um, my moment of the week, uh, I'm putting a bid in to buy a house. Lovely. Yeah, but that's not really cricket-based, is it? Um, I'm, I was struck and, uh, and quite, quite moved, really, by Temba Bavuma's performance um, in the first ODI. 
at Cape Town. Uh, for obvious reasons, he's a player that people root for. We don't need to dwell on um, his backstory particularly, although it's hard to divorce what he does on the pitch from what he symbolises in the New South Africa. Uh, and he spoke, incidentally, after that that innings about um, the the ongoing kind of reverberations around everything that he does and how he understandably, and it's not much to ask, wants to be seen as a cricketer first and a black cricketer second. Um, but let's just focus on the game itself. Um, England didn't turn up, fine. Uh, but South Africa, who have had a miserable few weeks, and Bavuma personally has had a miserable few weeks, having um, injured him, been injured going into that first test match at Centurion and then been overlooked um, rather darkly, rather questionably, possibly in the test matches following that. And he sent one or two cryptic tweets out. So things weren't entirely right. He was technically the, technically still is the vice captain of that test side. And yet what didn't feature at all until the end at Joburg in the final test match. Anyway, he bats three in only his third ODI in that first game a couple of days ago at Cape Town in front of his hometown crowd. It's packed sellout. England were poor. And Bavuma, with the new skipper to cock at the other end, was marvellous. And there's one particular... Well, there was a flurry of shots, actually. Um, he's brilliant on the cut shot because he's about four foot tall. He's brilliant on the cut shot. But uh, he also drives very, very pleasingly um, with a full face. Uh, never overhits the ball, but he's a natural timer of the ball. And he, and he played one particular shot off one of the quicks. I think it was off, um, off Wokes. But I can't be absolutely sure on that. And he just gets as tall as he possibly can, uh, which is an oxymoron, goes without saying, but he manages to get on top of the bounce, pushes through through the line, through that gap, that tiny gap between straight extra and mid-off, uh, and it runs away for four, and it just showed that the boy was in control of his game and in control of the situation, and it was a very aesthetically pleasing shot in amongst a number of them. Um, there is, and it's not heresy to say, there is an element aesthetically of Sachin in there, a kind of a, like a, Matrushka doll Sachin mm -hmm. uh, and while it's a ludicrous comparison obviously it goes without saying please don't come down at me out there in the Twitter sphere but he's a very pleasing player to watch and there is a sense when you watch him as well that there is a real fire in his gut as well he's an intelligent boy his backstory is is as we've touched on um, and you feel now at 29 years old, vice captain of the test side, he's not cracked test cricket yet, but there's been glimpses of class at that level. And now he's in at three in the new South African ODI side, the post FAF, post AB, post Hashim Amler at the South African side. Uh, and you couldn't ask for more. He averages something like 120 or something in his first three games of ODI cricket. And, and you just really, really hope that from the debris of a horror year, really, for South African cricket, uh, he can emerge as one of the key men for, uh, going forward. Yeah, those stats are quite staggering. I mean, I'm still thinking about that Sri Lanka stuff. <laughs> that was marvellous. <laughs> I, I know you don't want to dwell on the Sachin comparisons, but he does now average much more than Sachin ever did in ODI cricket. He averages uh, <laughs> from 80, three games, one against Ireland, and one against Romford. And he got 100 on Damien, took Sachin 80 or games to get his first 100. Oh, stop but, it. Um, I'm setting yourself up for a Twitter storm here, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But those, five game, uh, those three games are spread across five years, uh, having made his debut in 2000. Uh, 2016. I guess South Africa have been very well stocked for top order bats. I mean, De Kock and Amler are two of the, the one of the best opening pairs in in history. And he doesn't strike you in a way as a modern one day type player. He's not this this power hitter. As you say mm -hmm. he's like a he's a touch class player. But mm -hmm. 
is it is it odd that he hasn't played more up until this point? I mean, we talk about with Bavuma, people say that he, that all the the people who criticise transformation say he gets chances too readily, and you can't at all say that's the case in one day cricket. No, not at all. And I think yeah, you're right. Yeah, they've had players like De Kock and Amla at the top, but they have they have sort of lacked that that kind of Williamson style touch you know t- touch player like a, a Joe Root type player that, exactly. that there's still room for in 50 over cricket maybe not so much in T20 anymore or the 100 we'll find out but um, yeah I mean they've had Faf in there who's obviously been captain but I think yeah like the, the future looks a little bit brighter for them than we might have thought with, with people like Bavuma and Van der Dusen coming in as well that can play that sort of role yeah yeah 100% and, and it's good to see him in there at three as well it'll be interesting to see what they do with him in the test side because I've always thought when he bats down there at five or six it's maybe not not the the ideal position for a player uh, of that kind of ilk and that kind of stature as well. Uh, but while England stunk the place out, I don't think there can be many neutrals watching that game who weren't who weren't pleased to see South Africa have a have a day out. Mm-hmm. You know, because as we've said, top of the show, um, it's been a rough few weeks for them, and and there is that sense of of real upheaval. Uh, going through through the core of, of, of high-end South African cricket. So if they can come through the other side uh, with the nucleus of a, of a competitive team again, then that would be great to see. Uh, and, and on England, I suppose they had their own Bavumi Estate in Joe Denley, who made his first ODI half-century since 2009, helping recover from 131 for six. It was a, a, a good innings, you'd say, in the circumstances. And he does have a, an ECB white ball contract and not a red ball one. Uh, what is his future in T20 and ODI cricket for England, do yeah, you think? I mean, it's a weird one. I mean, that was probably, you could argue that was his best England innings. Um, certainly, yeah, you know, top top three, I guess, the, the the one here in the Ashes, the 94 he made, would be up there. And there's one in St Lucia where he faced a lot of balls. That seems to be his thing at the moment. <laughs> facing he, he did face 100 balls yesterday yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. always. That, um, but, I mean, yeah, it's you kind of wonder how how he's going to fit in kind of long term you know and it doesn't seem to make much sense that they've England have quite ruthlessly discarded Plunkett and just said no you're not going to be part of the plans in 2023 so therefore we don't need you now and you kind of wonder is Denley going to be around for that World Cup as well and if not why are they using him now it, it just feels like there are definitely better options as well as he played yesterday and it probably isn't the right time to be to be disparaging him in this way but like yeah it just seems like he's he just always feels like a placeholder, both in the test team and in the in the one day team now. Yeah, does he? I guess the Plunkett comparison. I guess Plunkett was is never really going to play the T Twenty World Cup because he's a he's, he's got that specific role in one day cricket that you don't really have in Twenty Twenty cricket of that middle overs wicket taker. Whereas, is, is there a suspicion about Denny that he might be kind of like an untapped T Twenty, a very good T Twenty player, or is that still? I mean, I guess England just have so many top order options in. Yeah, exactly. T20. It just feels like that. He's filling a gap that doesn't really need to be filled, and and you know the, the other thing in theory that's in his favour is his bowling. But he got a bit of tap yesterday, and I mm. think there are better options for that still. Even, anyway, so I just yeah, it's it's a real really weird one. Even Joe Root is a white ball bowler. Yeah, exactly. More than Joe. Yeah, yeah. Moment, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. One other top rolling and might have in T Twenty Three soon enough is Alex Hales, possibly. So Owen Morgan said he could come back into the fold once the trust is rebuilt this week. Do, do England do England need him? Do they want him? Well, his his pedigree is not in question. Um, I, I find the verging on pomposity, uh, the, this ongoing question of the breakdown of trust. Uh, it's been two years since he ballsed up. Um, he was 
a key part of the setup for a number of years before that. I'm not in any way condoning or excusing his his mistake, his his balls up, but um, to continually revert back to this notion of, of of letting down the side, this breakdown in trust. Well, there's one or two of the characters in this team, lovable as they are, who who have who have also uh, fallen foul of of that moral requirement. Let's say but who are less who expendable. are who are absolutely exactly, but less less expendable. Bang on. Anyway. Um, do they need him? Probably not, uh, because they've got so many good players. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it a little harsh uh, and a little a little unbending to continually ignore a player of international pedigree uh, who continues to tear it up in every domestic league that he, he performs in? I would say so, yeah, I would say so. Um, but, you know, the alchemy of a cricket team is a delicate thing and it's full of peculiar egos and peculiar requirements and... And if if Morgan's feeling is that Hales let the side down too too dramatically, uh, then then it's hard to see that see that see the bloke coming back. Certainly, if if you're looking in a kind of have you served your time way, then watching from afar that World Cup take place when he was mm. a key member of that team for four years, five years, building up to it, I don't think. A man with a scintilla of conscience or self-awareness will ever quite live that down. So, my word, he served his time. Um, I think it would be a sad reflection of our progressive and modern game if Hales is tearing it up for knots next year uh, and not not getting a look in back into either of England's white ball sides. I've, I would add, I'd be surprised if he never plays for England again. And I hope that's the case. Yeah, I think in the short term, based on what Morgan said when he was initially kind of discarded, he'd have to be really pulling up trees to be back in the conversation because of the the other options England have got. He, I mean, he's had a good big bash, but he'd have to be having an outstanding one, I think, to be. Yeah. And if he does that for knots, if he scores, you know, 300 in his first five innings or something, then suddenly the he'll, you know, he'll be back on the sure. back on the radar. But I think, yeah, as you say, the sort of slight, slightly pompous way that, that it's been dealt with, I think the door seems pretty pretty firmly shut at the moment. But. And just a bit more widely on on that top order question for England at that tournament. I mean, what 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 do they do about all the players they've got who can bat there and are and are best there? I mean, yeah, I mean something's has, something's got to give. You know, you've got Bairstow, Roy, Butler, Banton coming into the frame now. You know, only two of them can open. Mo- but and Moeen, Moeen, Butler, and Stokes are yeah. all better up the top as well, aren't they? Yeah, so, so, and Vince isn't mentioned. Yeah, yeah, Milan as well. Yeah, Joe got, Denley, <laughs> of course. Yeah, um, Morgan himself, and yeah. you know, Root. I, I mean, I probably wouldn't wouldn't have Root in the T Twenty team at the moment. Um, but I think I don't know. By all accounts, he he sees himself as being just wants it all. Yeah, just wants, Joe, wants to be involved he? as well. So um, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're going to have to move. Uh, probably the strongest case is to move Butler down to. To finish because he's the one with the skill set best suited to that of the top order batsman, and I think of the kind of the, the other opener, I'd say Roy is probably the most vulnerable to Banton coming in. Do you think so? Yeah, I think I think Bairstow, given like what he did in the IPL and what he's done in just generally in white ball cricket recently, he's he should be more of a lock than than Roy. And Roy, I think, is more of a fifty over player than a T Twenty player, yeah. as good as he is in T Twenty. Yeah, I can um, see that. I can see that. It was interesting. This was their first fifty-over game since you know what, <laughs> and it, it was funny watching it because they went off like a train again, Bearstow and Roy, 
and then both played rather amateurish shots as if you're not quite sure how to behave. You know, they're cocks of the walk. They're world champions, but they're having to get back again. And it's like almost like a sort of a friendly against Moldova in the football, you know, after you've, after you've done well in a, in a big one and you have to get going again. And it looked complacent and it looked a bit confused and it's probably understandable psych- psychologically. Uh, but what was, not alarming, but what was, was striking is that once those two had gone, there was there was a sense of inevitability about it, you know, that, that it was only going to really go one way. And, and I thought Denley, I thought Denley played really well, I have to say. Um, I thought, it, it reminded me that he is, in my head, more of a white ball cricketer than, than a red ball cricketer. And if you look at his numbers over the last three or four years, then they tend to bear that out, I think, overall. You know, he he was tearing it up in T20 cricket for Kent. He was making good runs in 50-over cricket as well for the last two or three years in, in, in the English summer. Uh, and it reminded me that that's where he came into the England setup. Um, and while I don't think he makes anybody's first 11, I can understand why, why he, makes, he makes a 16, why he makes a squad. He's versatile. He's, he, can, he can pad up the top. He can do that kind of rebuild job at number five. He wasn't especially fluent, but he showed to the outsider who'd have seen him in the test match not play a shot hardly unless it's right under his eyes and he punches it through extra cover. Mm. You saw him in, it, it expand his game a little bit more. He played one fabulous shot off and Geedy on the up over long on, a dismissive, you know, imperious kind of shot and flat batted another six over long off down the pipe of the innings. And he, he certainly has the game for it. But I mean, England are, they don't know what to do with themselves because they have so many players whose domestic records with the bat are outstanding. You know, Milan's got an outstanding record. Vince has got an outstanding record for Hampshire in 50-over cricket. Uh, Milan's on this tour. Vince isn't even even sniffing around it, you know. And then you have other players, you, you know, coming through. Joe Clark, Dan Lawrence tearing it up in, in the England we'll, Lions we'll set him, yeah. <laughs> who, who had Lawrence on the bingo. I know, I know. He's a favourite of mine. But my point is that there's a lot of them kicking around. So you'd be tempted to include Jodani, though, for the T20 World Cup squad, potentially? Well, okay, I'm, I'm talking, I'm quite linear with these things. I'm talking about 50 over cricket Fine, because, okay. you know, that's, where, that's, that's what they're playing again, at the yeah. moment. Um, does Joe feature in the 20 over, over side? I don't know, mate. I'd have to sit down and work out my <laughs> yeah, team, okay. to be honest. Patrick, you say no Joe Root. Would, would Denley as well be a, be a no-no for you? Is the legs been not a factor at all? Do England not need a part-timer? <laughs> I mean, probably not. Because like, if, if you've got Moe really drag two Moe down and Stokes, yeah. Moe and Stokes, you know, Rashid, but, you know, we'll see how Parkinson goes. Um, I think they want to sort of blood him to be the kind of front line leg spinner if Rashid's shoulder doesn't hold up. And I think, yeah, I think, again, the skills that, that Denley gives you, they kind of have covered in other areas, really. And it was inter- You mentioned Parkinson. It, eight overs for 40-something. Didn't bowl great. Didn't bowl badly. It took, I think, four or five deliveries for uh, the commentators to, to begin to question the pace at which he bowls. Mm-hmm. I think Sean Pollock was one of them. I can't remember who else was on at the time. Uh, and they made a comparison in pace between Shamsi, the, the, the left arm wrist spinner, as we call them these days, and, and the, the, you know, the conventional right arm leg spinner in Parkinson. And there was a, a, a difference of seven or eight MPH on average, or KP, KPH, can't exactly remember. But there's a discernible difference between the two of them. And yet, I thought 
it showed a, a kind of a lack of respect, really, of what Parkinson had achieved up until now. Yeah, Parkinson is an outstanding one-day bowler in 50 and 20. Took four for 40-odd and won England one of those games in New Zealand in one of his first appearances for England. Uh, the bowler of last year's blast in 20-over cricket... Um, and his pace comparisons are not indifferent, not different that different to say a Chahal or a, or a Yadav, albeit he doesn't yet maybe have the the slider or the flat one. You yeah, know? and I think I think that's the key. Like he, as you say, he's got to where he has doing what he's done. So it's, you can't expect him just on his first ODI to just suddenly become a completely different bowler. Yeah, yeah. He, okay, he, he's going to need to develop. He's still pretty raw. He's still pretty young, and those skills will hopefully come. And and yeah, it's, you know, you're going to have to learn fast and. It, it, I tell you what, arena, it, it yeah. is again. It's for me. It's another example of the way that there's two sub genres in cricket: the stylist batsman and the wrist spinner. And they are such outliers that they are judged by different criteria to all other cricketers. I think mm. if you were an off spinner making your debut for England yesterday, then you would not be subject to that kind of scrutiny, that kind of analysis, and that kind of suggestibility that you don't actually have what it takes equally if you're a proper stylist with the bat if you if you nick off playing an expansive cover drive then it's so much more uh unforgivable than if you nick off just playing a flat-footed block which is somehow more kind of morally morally acceptable in 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 the cricket punditry's strange garbled moral sphere and and i felt sorry for parkinson yesterday because he was subjected to uh, a kind of uh, yeah, so a joyless analysis that I don't think his record deserves. Do, do those uh, paces is, is that is, is right? Does that stack up to Kuldeep and Chahal and yeah, uh, tell me Rashid? Does he does he bowl similarly quickly yeah, or slowly? So, so yes, yeah, so yesterday Parkinson average speed was seventy five k. Shamsi was seven k quicker as you say eighty two. Right. And yeah, looking at people like Kuldeep, so Kuldeep's a touch quicker at um, average speed of eighty one k's, but he does go as slow as seventy. Jahal again, 84, but goes as slow as 69 sometimes. Um, so in fairness, then, Parkinson is quite significantly slower than those two. Yeah, yeah. So so my wild generalisation was probably inaccurate there. But that that's on average, though. But he does... You, yeah. What, what you're saying is that there are they times do give it some flight. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. Slowly, so so. The, the, the average will be bumped up because they have the quicker ball, because they have more tricks, yeah. because they're more established international bowlers, sure. basically. I've seen him bowl on TV, and he's ripped it, and he's bowled bold flat ones as well right now maybe it's in my mind's eye I'm, I'm trying to picture this more complete version than the bowler we saw yesterday but even if I'm wrongish we've got to cut the kids some slack you know he's, he's a 22 year old English reared Bolton boy bowling wrist spin mm-hmm. uh, in one of the toughest places to bowl spin in the world Got to, kid, got to give the kids some chances, you know. How many, it, it, it irritates me a bit because Anil Rashid was written off for years as well. And now he's taken more wickets than any other spinner in English ODI history and won a World Cup. Um, Parkinson has something about him. There's no doubt about it. He's bowled, he's bowled well as, as well abroad. He bowled well in the big bash. I just think we need to give the kid a chance. Yeah, and we shouldn't spend too much time on him, I suppose. But you saw the no, same with, sure, with, let's with move on. We saw the same with the test team as well when he, he goes for a few in one Red Bull game, and all of a sudden people are saying, "Oh, maybe they're thinking as more of a, a white ball bowler. Maybe he just can't bowl with a red ball." And he's, he's, he, as you say, he's done it for Lancashire, not not a huge amount, but there have been times when he's bowled on on flatter surfaces and done really well. It's not as if that one warm up game should yep. cause him to be written off. Yep. Or anyway. Uh, I guess a similar question to the who will replace Adil Rashid is who will replace 
Liam Plunkett. Uh, so I think Crickviz might have tweeted that no seamer took more wickets than Plunkett in the middle over since the last World Cup, and the same is true of Rashid and Spinners. Just before you answer that, Pat, is, is Rashid's shoulder done for this T20 World Cup? How fit is he? Because I know he's with the team at the minute. And not yeah, he didn't, Do we look, know? he didn't look fit during the New Zealand T20s. No. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it, that, that it's a long time away, so I think there still is a chance against yeah. how much cricket he can get in between now and then. I suppose if he's if he seems of, alarming though, doesn't it? Because this problem, you know, injections during the World Cup and so on. It seems, and we've heard this with spinners before. You know, look, I don't want to write his write his obit here, but you know, you think of Swan's elbow and so on, how he was unable to come back, and Warren was never quite the same after his own elbow, uh, shoulder problems. You really, really hope that Rashid can see this one through, but it is a bit alarming that it's been been a year or so now kicking around. Yeah, and he's played. I know his kind of England career was a bit belated, but he's played a lot of cricket mm. for, you know, he's over 30 now. He's yeah. play, played a lot of years for Yorkshire and it all, all does add up. And I think just, yeah, wear and tear could be. Well, there was the stat going around him. when he got his test debut that he played more first class games, or not not his test debut, his uh, test recall for India that he played more first class games than anyone else in that side at that point, um, or more county championship games. So yeah, as you say, he has played a lot of cricket, will have bowled a lot of overs in that time and that. That will that will take its toll. So I mean, yeah, hopefully he comes back, but it's not not a given, I suppose. So it's not mm. just a question for twenty twenty three; it's a question for for this year. Who Opens is... the door for Denley as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, yeah. Um, if, but... if you're asking about the Plunkett question, mm-hmm. um, Pat, you'll you'll have you'll have a thought thought on this. Saqib Mahmood is a cricketer that I'm very excited about, and I know he didn't bowl great in the T20s in New Zealand, although I don't think he bowled badly. His figures aren't flattering. But he seems to me to have the right kind of components for that kind of cricket. That kind of cricket, you know, he's he's an excellent outfielder as well. Uh, he's an intelligent, emerging young fast bowler who thinks his way through through a game as well as has the physical attributes to to get the job done. Um, I'd like to see him feature on this South African tour before they all come home, whether it's in the T20s or whether it's in the 50s. Uh, and he's a player that I think we should watch a lot over the next next 12 months or so, building up to this tournament. Yeah, I mean, he seems to be the closest sort of profile in terms of your Plunkett like-for-like replacement, I guess. Like yeah. You can bowl it, you know, 90 mile an hour plus. And I, don't know, I haven't seen enough from him really, but does he have does he have a good bouncer like Plunkett did? Does he bang it in or is he more, more pitch He's skiddy, but I think that yeah. makes it more effective. I think he's, he just seems like a wicket taker, like a, yeah. like a player that like Plunkett wouldn't take his wickets any one particular way, but was able to kind of get that breakthrough. Yeah, in kind of enforce a role. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, Mark Wood as well on the, on the T20 leg of this tour. So he's having a rest at the minute for the 50 overs. Good life, isn't it? Mm. Good life. I spoke to him yesterday. Uh, he's very well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's in the mix again for that T20 side. And and obviously with Archer coming back into it as well, it's it's a fearsome fearsome proposition really, that England T20 side. Yeah. For me, for me the, the Plunkett-Mahmood question just shows why Plunkett should for the moment still just be in the setup and he's not going to be around at the next tournament. He's probably not going to play the T20 World Cup. But England are going to need a bowler like him and he has a very particular skill set and you'd think that having him in the squad would help that transition and he'd be able to teach some of the tricks he's learned being one of England's best ODO bowlers of the last five years of of all time really it just seems odd that they would just get rid of him without wanting to keep that experience around so uh, on the topic of the makeup of England's various sides, uh, we know the batting is going to go well in Sri Lanka, as experienced travel group have pretty much guaranteed. But uh, <laughs> nice. h- how about uh, how about England's England's bowling attack? I mean, is it two spinners? Is it three spinners? Who are those spinners? Who who are the quicks? I mean, it's, it seems very up in the air at the moment for me. Yeah, I mean, when they went there about eighteen months ago or so, they 
they played Moeen, Leach and Rashid in all three tests and they all bowled really well in as a kind of trio mm-hmm. and I think Broad and Anderson between them only took one wicket. Um, there's been rumours that the pitches this time aren't going to be quite so spin friendly, I read. Um, okay. don't know how much that's going to be borne out, but it might be the case that they don't need to play all three. Um, oh, well, I mean, Rashid obviously isn't in the frame anymore, but... Yeah, Leach, if he's fit, it'll probably be Leach, Bess, and then they maybe don't need an, an extra full-time spinner. If you've got Root and maybe Denley still around, um, then he might make up the, the the extra spinner. But then, yeah, with the quicks, like, yeah, Broad and Anderson, yeah, between them, as I said, only took one wicket. So then do, you've got Archer and Wood now. Do you need that extra pace, potentially? Can you play both? Like, you know, Wokes didn't go particularly well. Generally doesn't go particularly well away from home, so is he an option as well? I don't know. Yeah, the, the Archer one for me is a, an interesting one because I just remember how well Mitchell Stark bowled there in, I think, 2016 when Australia got whitewashed, but he was unplayable. He was took by almost as many wickets as every other seamer combined. And I think that Sri Lanka is almost where in the world you want pure pace more than the other because it, it seems like most of the type of seam bowling is pretty ineffective. So I guess I, I would be tempted to rest Broad and Anderson and bring Archer and Wood basically as your two quicks and you've got Sam Echoed. Caron and Ben Stokes to do 100%. your other stuff. 100% I agree with you there. I think Wood through the air on those pitches, you know, a bit of reverse maybe, the abrasiveness of the surface. Uh, and Archer will be hopefully fit, ready to go again. Um, I would leave the, the two old institutions back home to, you know, convalesce for a bit and and try and get themselves fit for the start of the, of the summer. Uh, I agree with you on that one. The, the one... The one question, I suppose, is around Moeen Ali. I think we understand that he's probably not going to be featuring uh, for the England test side in Sri Lanka, and I can understand why it's looking unlikely that he w- he will be featuring there. I think it would play badly. It would be bad for business for the England setup to open the door to Moeen without having really played any discernible red ball cricket and say, you know, you're, ba- you're back in here, Mo. Um, so uh, I can understand why he will be uh, probably... Uh, not considered for that tour, despite the positive noises that he's making about wanting to get back into the Test match side. I think the earliest we will see Moeen Ali, if we see him at all again in white clothes for England, will be will be May um, and the start of the international summer. I think that's probably on balance a fair comment and a fair fair position for England to take. I would have been really tempted by picking Moeen, actually. Um, I, I mean, Ed Smith in the past has not minded picking people based off not much Red Bull form. I think also that while Moeen is a he's a curious off in that he's so attacking he doesn't contain at all uh he um that's i think you really want your off to be taking wickets in Sri Lanka because the games move so quickly so you want somebody who's going to be moving the game along rather than holding it down while it's kind of drifting away from you i i can get that i can get that but there there is a balance to be struck mm-hmm. you know don don bess did well at port elizabeth don bess um is a young committed and hungry cricketer and moeen and i don't criticize this but moeen has said for the last 6 months i'm not playing for 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 you yeah, uh, there ha- that can't just be completely dismissed mm-hmm. on grounds of pragmatism and needing to win a couple of games in Sri Lanka. I think that has to be considered in in the overall um, the shakedown. Yeah, uh, I, gu- I guess the flip side is that like you do want. Uh, I'm generally in favour of being, people being more horses for courses with these things, and so which is how cricket is going as yeah, well, right? And I think and I think that's a, a good direction for it to be going in. And I think if they yeah, they, they, they say that. So you were dropped during the Ashes because you know, there were many reasons. But then Leach was the number one spinner, and Leach still is the number one spinner when fit, I think. But then if they say, right, these pitches, we're going to need three spinners, Moeen, for me, is still 
one of the three best spinners in England. It would be mm-hmm. you played Leach, Best, and Moeen in mm-hmm. that scenario. Um, but then that's then complicated more by the fact he's signed up for the PSL with Multan. Right. Um, yeah. So if, you know he's kind of agreed that, that he was picked there on the premise that he would be available for the whole tournament. So then if he then turns around to say that he's got got that to balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes, I guess. But and considering he's not Red Bull contracted, he's probably going to pick up more money playing for Moulton Leewood for England as well. If um, which why money probably why, why can't it come to it? I mean, he's got a family and stuff to think about and that sort of thing. Um, who then England are going to want a third spinner in their squad, right? If not in the eleven, is that Matt Parkinson? Is it Liam Dawson? Who is it? Do you think Adil Rashid um, had one key? contribution to that Sri Lanka series in the third test match first innings he took five for and either side of that he was the third spinner in that setup he was the fantasy player but he still had a defining influence on that series albeit they'd already won the series because they're two new up going into that third one I think that Parkinson should be considered to play that role if it is a real ragging turner and you want to go in there with three three spinners and I think Parkinson should be considered in that role. You know what you're going to get with Liam Dawson. Um, you don't know yet know what you're going to get with, with Parkinson. I was going to call him Michael Parkinson. <laughs> you know what you're going to get with him. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's not available at this stage. Uh, I, he's got a PSL deal, right? Yeah. <laughs> also, you know, England will be able to play containing cricket if they go in there with Leach and Bess uh, and Wood and Archer as well, if they are, if they are your options. So you can afford a fantasy player in there, and I would like it to be Matt Parkinson. Quite enough in England for the time being. Pat, what is your moment of the week? Okay, uh, yeah, my moment of the week was um, during the New Zealand-India T20 with that bonkers series that had two super overs in three days. But this, my moment came from the game after that, the fifth T20, where Shivam Dubi, who is a bizarre player in many ways, he just has kind of been fast-tracked to kind of perceived stardom despite not really having a great deal to, to back it up. I don't know. Like ben, play- ben Gardner understands that implicitly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he, um, he, play, he plays for RCB, so he plays with Coley in, in the IPL. I don't know how, what, what factor that plays in, in things, but he, yeah. I mean, he, he's clearly, he, he does have talent as a batsman, I think. Um, got got a good long levers, and they kind of tried to sort of blood him as a kind of Hardik Pandya replacement, and they kind of shunted him up and down the order, batted him at three, back in the middle order and stuff. He's kind of had a few, few kind of flashes where he kind of hints at stuff, but, um, but no, in this game, wasn't his best. He scored five runs um, with the bat and then went for 34 off one over, um, seeding, I think, four sixes from uh, Tim Seifert and Ross Taylor. Bought no ball in there as well for good measure, uh, but still ended up on the winning team. So that, that was his day out. He's, he's once hit 36 in an over and six sixes. So yeah. it's odd to get a player who's hit six sixes in an over and been hit for 34 in an <laughs> over. Um, it does show how much India miss Hardik Panja when he's not yeah. there because seam bowling around us, you can properly do both, are so rare. And ones who can do it, like Panja can do it, when they can properly hit sixes and that sort of finisher roller, even rarer. I was almost dreading talking about New Zealand because uh, they've had such a tough time of it lately. But um, they won the first ODI against India today, so it feels less like sticking the boost in when we talk about why they keep losing Super Overs. Uh, it was it was an incredible win, actually. You, did, you were saying, Pat, is their highest ever highest run chase, yeah. Which is amazing. And it was uh, Ross Taylor again, who just uh, probably... It just remains definitely the most underrated cricketer in the world and one of the best ODI cricketers in the world, would you say, Phil? Since he got his eyes done after Perth, when he couldn't see it in the day-night game, um, he's been phenomenal. Been Bradman-esque, really, in, in 
in 50 over cricket in particular, but been, been superb as well in test cricket. Uh, he's, he's one of the greats, one of the unheralded greats of his era. Uh, and that knock today, considering all the, the stuff that had gone be, before, losing five, five, you know, on the spin and then to, to concede three, four, eight or three, four, seven, I think it was in, in India's innings and then to, to hold it together without Williamson either. Um, and to, to see off a blip towards the back end of the, of the innings as well, when they lost three and three, suddenly went from three down to six down. Taylor was almost run out as well. They needed 15 odd of 20 balls. Taylor was, would have been run out comfortably. Uh, as it was, Mitchell Santner did the business in the end, um, hooked one off his nose for six to relieve the pressure, and then Taylor did. Taylor saw it home, 108 not out, another 100 for, for one of the great players, really, of the 21st century. Um, yeah, brilliant to see New Zealand um, re- reclaim a little bit of their own self-respect after a, a, a pretty tough, harrowing few weeks for them. New Zealand's first ODI since, since their World Cup final defeat, and uh, I guess, yeah, it's a bit of a solace after that and also after the t20 series but i mean the the super over phenomenon is just bizarre isn't it i mean is it is it is it a ptsd sort of thing from that world <laughs> cup final uh that they just they just get close to the line and then suddenly you think like oh no not again and then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy from that point and i guess the other question is why does tim southey keep bowling so many of them i mean what what's going on there Pat? yeah i mean they they without bolt they really do lack a kind of Top class death bowler. Um, Southie's bowled the last three, you know, the, that one at Auckland in the reduced game against England, mm. and then the two in this series. Um, and New Zealand have lost all three. Um, I don't know how much of it in the, these most recent two is him, because he was, he was captaining the side. Was, was it him thinking, you know, I've got to take a bit of responsibility here. I can't just palm it off to, to Scott Kugline or whoever it would be. You know. um, it was painful to watch, though. And when Sharma was at the other end, even when they needed, I think, 10 from two yeah. in mm. one of the games. And you still kind of backed Sharma. I was saying, watching it at the time, saying, "Well, this is still India's." Yeah, I mean, there's, there's and he bowled two right in the slot. Yeah, right? there's not, there's not many the bowlers other. you'd rather face, I think, in that situation. Medium than fast, coming yeah. on right in the slot. Yeah, and like I think after the the first one, they they should have done something a bit differently. But you know, use Santner or something to just be a bit be a bit funky and just try something different because whatever they've done before hasn't obviously hasn't hasn't been working. So. Yeah, uh, and uh, more so private chat. England have uh, won another one. England women beat uh, tied with Australia and then beat them in a tiebreaker, mm. which is encouraging for everyone. Really, showing that uh, the Aussies actually are beatable. That's been a really good uh, try series, which also mm. got India in it. So India beat England in a close game in the first game, and then Australia had a close victory over India in the other game. And I guess it's just uh, encouraging for that tournament that you've got those three basically trading blows, at least showing they can each beat each other, even if Australia still go in as favourites exactly that you want a spectacle mm. this is 20 over cricket international level you want a spectacle you want something that is uh, memorable really and this is what the tournament is aiming for it's aiming to break attendance records it's aiming to showcase the game um, played at a level that we've not really seen before and I think across the board women's cricket is increasing in- increasingly uh, watchable powerful uh, and while Australia are obviously the you know, the runaway favourites, this is 20 over cricket. I think the winners will come from one of England, India, Australia, albeit New Zealand and and uh, South Africa as well will have a, a puncher's chance. I think provided the tournament sings, it's almost secondary who actually wins it. Right then, now for the real meat, man cads. 
Oh. <laughs> there was one in a World Cup quarterfinal, no less, between Afghanistan and Pakistan. And then, as ever, the internet blew up. Piers Morgan called it pathetic. James Anson called for the entire rule to be scrapped. Patrick, how do you view the Mankad melodrama? Um, I have no problem with Mankads. I think it's it's easy to avoid. Just if you're the batsman, don't walk out your crease. It's, every every argument against them can you can use that in response to it. Like I think the rule's there to stop batsmen. You know, in theory, without the rule or the law, the batsman could just be standing halfway down the pitch if they needed to. And I'm not saying that that would happen because that would also probably be against the spirit of the game. But but you know, it's, it's in place. And and yeah, I, I think. He, he, and also in, in this particular instance people, I think people don't like it because they think it, there's no sort of skill involved that you should be trying to better your opponent with your, your skills as a bowler but this one actually there was quite a lot of skill he had to kind of t- time it properly to, to get off and I think it was, yeah, it was actually quite good to watch like, in my opinion but I don't know how you guys feel Phil? <laughs> <laughs> you ever been man-cadded? No I've been warned? No, never tried it um uh, life's too short is my answer mm-hmm. to discuss such things. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I have I have a, a semi-opinion on this, which is that I also am with Patrick that I don't personally mind, but with a lot of people for some reason minding mancads, like I could see an argument for changing the rule to it's a five-run penalty if the bowler like manages to mancad you rather than dismissal. Because I think people feel that it's kind of like a... Uh, a cheap shot almost yeah, yeah like and, and it's, it's the fact that batsman gets dismissed for it it feels like too easy a way to get a wicket as well as it being against the spirit of the game I mean that that would just be sort of like a, a politician's way to to sort of soothe the two warring factions but I think I just say every time that this, this will happen again and then we'll have the same debate again and we'll uh, rake in the clicks again so that's a that's what we're doing I, I rather like that idea yeah yeah hmm, thanks Phil um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, other under 91 Cup news. England are the plate champions, which is, is something. Whoa. Yeah. There was also a sort of vague. A Pyrrhic victory. Yeah. There was a vague bit of spirit of cricket fudging in their plate final against Sri Lanka with a Sri Lanka batsman run out after colliding with an England bowler and therefore not getting his back down in time. But we'll take what we can get at this stage. Sure. Uh, and India just look far too good. They've won loads of games on the bounce in the 19 World Cup. Crews passed Pakistan by 10 wickets into the final. Mm. I think they need to probably start having their own under 19 World Cup and let mm. everyone else get on with theirs. <laughs> Don't get them any ideas. Yeah. Uh, still. IPLU 19. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, England's next crop isn't looking too bad. Uh, the Lions have won both their games in Australia so far, with Sam Hain making yet another list 800, and Dan Lawrence impressing with both bat and ball. Sam Hain, yeah. uh, you'll know this, Pat, he has the highest list A average of all time. Excuse it, me, I know that as well. Okay, Phil. Yeah, well, I, knew, I knew you know that. Um, Taha told me a couple of days ago. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Taha, uh, Sam Hain did a very nice interview with him, which is on the Wisdom website, which you'll go and check out but um yeah so that that average ticked above 60 uh Virat Kohli is just behind him in the list so not a bad not bad company um but Phil, we didn't not- even mention Sam Hain in that discussion earlier about England's embarrassment of batting riches and we didn't even mention the fellow who averages as you say more than any other human being alive or dead in list day cricket uh yeah what, what a player with Hain you just hope that he can translate it to say 80% in the red ball and then you're talking about a serious player uh, because his red ball returns I think he averages 37 against the red ball which is not bad in English cricket but it's not test match worthy obviously uh, he, he played okay last year against the red ball having had a pretty fallow year or two before that 
it'd be a fascinating year for him personally. I think he's only 24. Mm. 20, is he 24? Yeah, because he came onto the scene so young. Yeah, famously grew up in Australia, of course, mm -hmm. played Australian under-19s cricket. So straight away, you're 10% better than, than your English <laughs> counterpart. Uh, so yeah, it'd be fascinating to see how he goes. And Dan Lawrence, whose list day record is not great, but whose talent is um, bottomless, uh, has, has shown that not only can he bat, um, against good quality uh, opposition at, at all levels. And he's made a couple of important innings in that series you talk of. But he's also bowled as well, very effectively. Right arm Essex, as I describe it. It's, it's, it's incomprehensible how he does what he does. But there's a lot of, a lot of chutzpah in there, a bit of cheek, a little bit of front, a little bit of deceit in there. Bowls off the wrong foot, chest on, round the wicket, off breaks with the odd leggy in there as well. The odd floater, the odd, the odd straight one. But it's effective. Four for thirty odd, and and went for next to nothing as well in the other game. Um, he's a cricketer with uh, immense amounts of natural ability. He's got a PSL deal as well. He's in with the Has he? with the Karachi Kings. Yeah, so he good. And he's only twenty two as well. You talk yeah. about players who have been around. He made that hundred at the Oval here when he was seventeen mm. uh, five years ago. He's only twenty two, so he's another one. We've got some players. Yeah. Uh, some uh, some county cricket news. The ECB have advised counties that the Colpack rule will no longer apply from 2021 onwards once the transition period ends from the UK's exit from the European Union, though who right. knows whether that might get extended or what deal we might strike up with the EU. But uh, in any case, that advice has surprised some counties who thought existing multi-year Colpack deals could continue. So, for example, Vernon Philander has just signed a two-year supposedly Colpack deal with Somerset, but it seems from next year they will have to play as an overseas, not as a Colpack. Um, I guess, how, how do you view this this move from the ECB? And then also, how will we kind of view the, I guess, the Colpack era when it does eventually end? Massive question there, Ben. Mm. Um, right. I think... Oh, where to start on this one? I think Colpack's when done well. And Colpack in itself is a peculiar term because it's like an umbrella term for all South African cricketers everyone with an accent almost yeah when it's been used positively it's undoubtedly improved the overall standard of english cricket uh from simon harmer to mornay morkel um and and various others that you can you can reference you know, dane villas captain up at lancashire and so on uh we're just talking about english cricket here forget about the knock-on effect the travesty of the knock-on effect on south african cricket for a moment um I've personally never really had that much of a problem with it, provided it was kept within realms of decency. I think there have been teams in the past, North Ants is one, where the Colpack ruling was abused and it became counterproductive because the club became, the identity of the club became almost dominated by the Colpack issue. Uh, I think. I'm personally always been comfortable with the with English counties having a fundamentally English identity, but sprinkled with with high high end, good quality Colpack cricketers who overall raise the standard and make the product more watchable. I've never personally had an issue with that. I don't think it's ever really been a block to the advancement of potential international English cricketers. What we do have is a system of 18 counties with 20-something on the staff. We have four to 450 professional active cricketers in England. Um, I think on balance, the Colpack issue has improved the standard. And that can't be a bad thing. 
I think, as I say, it's been abused in certain instances. Uh, it is interesting to know what will happen after the end of this year. I wouldn't be surprised if the ECB and Will McPherson wrote a very good thing on this in the Standard and and said it may be a chance for English cricket to reset its parameters in this issue. I wouldn't be surprised and I would be in favour of a reversion to two overseas players allowed uh, in your squad and allowed in your in your first 11 as well. That would then enable the success stories like Harmer, like Morkel, like Verlander, who will obviously be one, despite having not bowled yet for, for Somerset, to play as an overseas. But also, if you want Baba Razam, if you're down at Somerset and you want Baba Razam and you have the money to pay for him and you've got Philander on your books, then you want, you want both of those cricketers to be playing and any cricket fan in their right mind would want to see both of those cricketers and that, playing county cricket. A move like that would also help what's happening with the Irish players at the moment, where they suddenly are now which overseas is a, players. Which is a scandal, right, yeah. Pat? Yeah, well, I mean, like, Paul Sterling's just signed for North Ants as an overseas player, despite, an overseas player. despite being born in Belfast with a British passport and... It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So I hope they are progressive, um, the ECB. I can understand why counties are having kittens over this. And I can understand why a few of them will be saying, well, hold on, this is not what we, we'd been told in private. I remember speaking to Harmer at Essex last August. And he's an outspoken bloke. And he's the best bowler in county cricket. Uh, and he was saying, I don't have a bloody clue what's going to happen to me. And nor does the county. And the ECB have given us a few assurances but it's all been verbal so far and none of us really know um he will be okay because he would he would earn his right as an overseas player anyway but again if Essex want to have Moa Mir and Simon Harmer and Peter Siddle and so. yeah and Peter Siddle for you know to, to slip in there as as the second when say Moa Mir's not around and so on then we have to surely draw up a a new system whereby clubs can play both of those players yeah I mean I think I wonder how we'll view it when it comes to the 100 actually because I, I think that the, there is a, a good sprinkling of Colpac players at the moment in county cricket but that kind of gets condensed in the 100 because those tend to be some of the better players I think something like 10 Colpacks in the 88 yeah which that that'll feel like quite a lot I think when we're when we're watching the 100 and uh, you're realizing that these aren't lots of new players you haven't heard of they're sort of players that cricketers have vaguely heard of but play for South Africa um, yeah and if ever the if ever a tournament needs pedigree to <laughs> justify itself, it is the hundred. This peculiar uh, experiment, you know, it needs it needs the best players that it can possibly get its hands on. Um, it's it's interesting that ten of the eighty eight that have been that have been signed up to to date uh, qualify under the Colpac ruling. Um, if you were to lose them, I mean, Dane Villas went for 125 grand, didn't he? Mm. If we were to lose them, then you are removing uh, in one fell swoop a large portion of this high-end pool of cricketers. Yeah, and they, they became massively valuable in, in the draft because mm. you've effectively had international players, but they would count as domestic, so it wouldn't go into your overseas quota. This yeah. is like the same county cricket, but like, but yeah, people like... People like right Riley Rousseau got picked up because he's he's English in, yeah. in in the in the terms of county cricket and in, in the terms of the hundred. So. Yeah, so that's someone who might well be sort of missing the hundred for white ball cricket if or you know be around the international team if he was actually English. It's a yeah. Um, all right. Well, for finally, then my moment of the week uh, involves Umar Akmal, who's reportedly in trouble <laughs> with the PCB for undressing entirely during a fitness test. It was after what they call a skinfold test, which 
sounds a little bit uh go on a little bit something but uh he fa- <laughs> he, fa- he failed the skinfold test and he uh then responded by taking off all his clothes and asking where is the fat which is a uh, quite quite the response um <laughs> yeah it's a uh, uh, str- str- the strange world of Pakistan cricket and fitness test. So Cameron Akmal as well, his brother, uh, missed a couple, had a couple rescheduled, and then when they finally did manage to pin him down, he just failed all of them. Uh, right. So yeah, I, I think that's uh, I don't if that story has more chapters to tell or not. But the, the, uh, <laughs> um, I have to say, I, f- I find Umar more fascinating because he's uh, obviously just so talented and like plays some absolutely brilliant innings and just can't resist just kind of messing it all up for himself. It's, just uh, just exposes himself at the highest level. <laughs> exactly. At every level, it sounds like. Uh, right, so that's your actual moment of the week, is it? I think so. Yeah. I, uh, Blimey. Yeah. Okay. Um, fine. Finally, then, a tour with experienced travel group offers great opportunities to explore, and is perfect for those who want to blend a holiday with backing the England team. Schlank offers that in abundance, and experienced travel group's knowledge and experts enable the curious traveller, which all of their guests are, to have the most incredible time. This is a personalised and private holiday, which enables guests to select their own itinerary and discover the island's beauty at their own pace, while meeting fellow cricket and travel enthusiasts while watching the cricket, if you so choose. Schlanker offers all kinds of experiences, from magnificent train journeys into the hills of the tea plantations, the opportunity to get close to incredible wildlife, including elephants, big cats and whales, or to discover gorgeous historical sites across the island. For more information, visit www.experiencetravelgroup.com or call 0203-993-9730. Right, that is all from us this week, folks. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, I've been Ben Gardner. Thanks, Phil, for coming. Pleasure as ever. Thank you, Pat. No problem. And if you did enjoy it, please tell your friends about it and subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, maybe leave us a nice, even a five-star review on your good choice. Thanks. Podcast Network.